Welcome back to another episode of A Daisy Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokwai, and the voices I am seeking may have never been heard before, but their stories deserve to be told. What is a Daisy Woman? She is a dynamic, fearless, and strong woman. She is your mother, your grandmother, your daughter, your sister. She is every one of us who is on an endless pursuit of self-empowerment and fulfillment. I am Sonia Gokhlai, and I am a Daisy Woman. Hello, and welcome to another edition of A Daisy Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokhlai, and today we are so very excited to be joined by Shetra Vedulapalu. Shetra, or Chai as she prefers to be known, is recognized as an influential business leader with a passion to enable digital equality and access to achieve economic prosperity in our communities. She is the co-founder and CMO of Mela, an organization focused on helping customers to modernize their business with cloud solutions. Chai is also the co-founder of Women in Cloud, a member of India Spora, She sits on the board of several companies and drives global conversations with the United Nations and other top organizations and corporations. Using the power of AI and cloud, Shai is fiercely committed to empowering women and other business owners to access the digital economy. Shai is also recognized as an author, speaker, change leader, patent holder, and is a TEDx and United Nations speaker. Chai was recently honored to be named to the Forbes Next 1000 list. Chai, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Really uh, appreciate you having me here, Sonia. Well, we are so excited to speak with you. And I always like to start out my interviews with guests, many of whom are from the South Asian diaspora or another country of origin about their immigrant journey to the United States. And I know that you're a graduate of Bangalore University in India and were an engineering major. But what I think is so interesting is, and you've offered this in other interviews, is that you truly thought your destiny was to be a housewife. However, you credit your husband for encouraging you to embrace the concept of being an economic powerhouse in your own right. So I really want to hear more about this from you and what inspired both of you to set your sights on immigrating to the United States and what that daunting journey was like for you. And then I do have a follow-up question for you. Sure, Sonia. First is, thank you for having me. And uh, it's 26 years that I'm in this country and uh, it doesn't feel like that. I still feel like I'm just here, migrated uh, or immigrated to uh, uh, U.S. The way I look at it is, you know, mine was an arranged marriage and uh, I had to follow what my parents wanted me to. But I did my engineering because they do truly believe that having a good degree in college would provide me the understanding of complexities of different ideas and model and engineering was a good idea instead of going into fashion designing or maybe you know other medical profession so I did to take the engineering got married came here so I stayed at home for three years and uh, used to watch days of our lives every day so I I can talk about many <laughs> stories around that 
But what I what changed my life was a show that was happening in 1995 around Microsoft and how the technology is going to change the world, democratize access. And because I knew I used to program in COBOL and Pascal, and I didn't really enjoy till I saw what the software can do. And that was, I would say, uh, start of the curiosity to explore that. And then I met some of our friends and we had one of our teacher who really taught database skilling. And uh, I just loved it. And uh, my husband and I, we basically spent time to figure out how do we create access for me to learn a new technology? Because none of us in our family were in tech at that time. So I was the first one to explore in that area. But what's amazing was I used to go for classes in the evening and used to work in the morning. And we supported each other in, in helping to grow three areas. One is mindset. So we were thinking big ideas and concepts, even at you know 26 when we didn't have a lot of money and resources. Uh, so we focused a lot on mindset expansion, focusing on learning a lot. The second area we focused on is economic readiness and empowerment, really focusing on financial piece of the the one because we never got that educated. So we spent a lot of time there. And third one is philanthropic work in our community from the day one of when we are here. So Ram comes from a very, very amazing background where the family does a lot of giving in the network. And same thing with my family, but his family definitely is 10 times more. So when we focused on the mindset of financial empowerment, and uh, focused on kind of philanthropic that kind of gave us a very good barometer for us to and also North Star for us to work together as a couple so it so it was very adventurous we tried very new things and we failed in so many ideas but we knew what it takes to hustle we knew what it takes to take care of people in our network we knew what it takes to create access for others in our network well, that makes so much sense. We were just talking about mindset before we began this recording. And um, yes, your mindset is so key, but clearly you, and as listeners will find out shortly, you are impassioned about making a difference in society and leaving it better than you found it. And as a follow-up question, in researching for this podcast, I was struck by how deeply you were affected from a young age by familial stories of the need for women to have economic empowerment and access. And you even reference a heart-wrenching story about your grandmother who wasn't traditionally educated and was left very vulnerable after the death of your grandfather. And much of this, in your estimation, can be attributed to her lack of access to economic autonomy or higher education. And I have to say that story resonated with me so profoundly because I have similarly been raised with this concept and the precarious existence that can be circumvented when women do seek higher education and are able to pursue vocations or careers which can then lead to economic access. So if you can expound on some of that for me and how that may even have been a driving force, not only for what you currently do, but also just your mindset in general. Absolutely. And, you know, it was very hard for me to share my own personal story because it's very uh, deep. And as a family, we all have gone through the aftermath of things that happen if you're not economically empowered, right? The whole family suffers in 
women generally not having that power uh, definitely puts a burden on the uh, many areas, just on herself, also with the family. So growing up, I've heard so many stories of how people can take advantage of situations and how it can put more pressure for women to survive. That one was definitely, I've heard many, many stories. So, and also I used to see in my own family and friends of where women stood in in context of money because they were dependent on their spouse to make the decision. And growing up, that was one thing that I always used to say, like, I do need to be empowered from the day one, whether it is a dollar or maybe $10, but having is a mechanism to have a strong say, have a voice in how we spend, how we earn, how we contribute to the society. And that has served me well, and also my entire family, because I do have a point of view, and and I contribute to the success collectively. So when I think about the whole concept of economic access, and that's the platform that I talk about, is it's not about that you need an opportunity, but you need to know how to get access to that opportunity in the way that represents you. It in the way it helps you grow, in the way it helps you connect uh, to the bigger outcomes is very, very important in the efforts that we take. So for me, inclusive economy and having the access to help all of us create an inclusive economy with the digital tools is definitely area of my passion. And I, I spend most of my time learning exploring, experimenting, and uh, figuring out ways for more women to stand up and create access for each other, and also allies to support us in creating access for those opportunities. So we can become self-sufficient. We can become heroes in our own life. So we don't have to be dependent and we can contribute to the economy. And that is a feeling is phenomenal when you know you can contribute to the society in a positive way. And that's a life worth living. Well, absolutely. And you are walking the walk. It's it's incredible. You've created Mela and Women in Cloud. And I will have the link to both of those sites in the podcast notes. But I do understand that one of your longstanding frustrations as you ventured into technology related to the lack of equity. And you often wondered if it was the right place for you. And I do suspect many women in corporate America sometimes feel that way, perhaps around the world. But in fact, your lack of access to a community woefully caused you to question your capabilities as a technologist and a contributing member of an organization. And what's quite striking is that perhaps as a result of this, you took the bold step in 2017 of co-founding Women in Cloud, with the key goal being to help women technology entrepreneurs to not just exist, but to thrive in the field and get their products and ideas in front of the right companies, venture capital firms, and customers. And through public-private partnerships with innovative companies like Microsoft and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, and leaders in tech, Women in Cloud helps to be a catalyst for women to have access to partnerships and programs that accelerate business growth and strategic alliances. So if you can walk me through this incredibly inspiring journey from being disheartened and questioning your place and ability in the world of technology to then co-founding an organization to empower and encourage other women 
who might be facing similar emotions and credible obstacles in their tech and entrepreneurial careers. That would be so appreciated. Absolutely, Sonia. Uh, this one is, I would say, is a lot of people have supported in this journey to make Women in Cloud a brand uh, for creating economic access for women. But let me tell, uh, share your story. Like I, I've been always an entrepreneur in mind. What that means is I always have ways to find solutions to the challenges in front of me, and I enjoy solving them. Uh, but when I left the corporate world, I really didn't know which direction I would be going, whether I'll go back to corporate or the entrepreneurial route. But I did take a leap of faith and said, I will explore the entrepreneurial piece and joined uh, and started the Mela uh, journey in the enterprise sector. As through the journey, I realized is access to the enterprise opportunity for female tech founders was extremely hard of many ways of uh, that I only the entrepreneurs can talk about the pain, right? Because you need a scalable solution and for scalable solution, you need funding and you need funding so you can hire the right talent to get all the pieces and to hire the talent, you had to have a very strong network to find the best talent in the world to create an amazing solution. Would those pieces offer, if you don't have a contract, you have nothing else supporting you, right? So that's kind of the one. But you also can grow your company in multi, you know, very quickly in the enterprise market because one deal can really change the game for the company. So looking around, there was no communities that was supporting that part of the narrative is going into the enterprise ecosystem and selling a cloud solution. Those two did not exist. And when you look at their spend, it was less than 2%. And I'm like, well, there is a need for it. And I'm really thankful to my friends at Microsoft, Gretchen, Gabriella, Karen Fazio. And they, they've understood the pain because they knew what it looks like in the enterprise sector. And we basically put it on a piece of paper, what that new world should look like is women in cloud, is to create a billion dollars in access, economic access in the enterprise ecosystem. And from there, you know, if you look back, we have created the accelerator, we put together the right programming, the right network, so women can really accelerate in their journey. Instead of taking three years, they can do it in six months, through the work that we do. And now, uh, you know, yesterday I was meeting with Jillian Music, who runs Master Fund. She said four out of five companies were funded and all the companies represented from Women in Cloud Accelerator. And she truly believes the companies who are coming are absolutely strong and brilliant entrepreneurs and know how to actually deliver a world-class solution. Uh, we also had one company just, uh, uh, you know, bought by Neiman Marcus. We have multiple companies who are getting amazing funding, customers and relationships to really expand in the market. So when I look back is, yes, there were obstacles and similar emotion. Uh, what I learned was Creating access was the only thing required and there was some skilling required. So you knew what the new world that you will go in when you get the access. And when you get those two right, the magic automatically happens because everyone is driven to make an impact in the world. We just need to create 
access and some skilling, get those two right to create the opportunity for them and they can fly after that. So that was the genesis of Women in Cloud. And if you look back right now, I say is thank you to everyone who's listening to make Women in Cloud the brand and making it very influential for so many women to really explore ideas, explore career opportunities, explore new ways of coming into the tech industry where they're empowered and they can truly, truly add value to the economic development that's happening through digital technologies. Well, I think that's absolutely extraordinary. And it kind of ties into my next question for you, because I know you call yourself a curious entrepreneur. And and those two almost are inevitably tied, right? To be a great entrepreneur, you have to be curious. And during your hugely popular TED Talk, which I will have a link to in the podcast notes, I encourage everyone to listen. You pose a question to the audience. How many of you have created economic opportunities for female entrepreneurs? As you have related in other interviews, to your surprise, less than 2% of the hands go up in the audience when you pose this question. You then bring up a very staggering statistic. You mentioned that when women and men are given equal opportunities for entrepreneurship, it is absolutely possible and viable to increase our global GDP from $2.5 trillion to $5 trillion. In other words, greater global prosperity and stability can be actualized by simply offering equal access to women entrepreneurs. And yet the conundrum, as you point out, and I would wholly agree with, is that while women are given opportunities to rise, the power of influence is not showered upon them in the same way it is for men. However, you are nothing if not a problem solver. And so I would really enjoy hearing from you more, you just expanded on upon it a bit, but how Women in Cloud is accelerating the societal impact of female tech entrepreneurs with the colossal goal of generating over $1 billion in global economic access by 2030. Yes, the billion-dollar goal takes 1,000-plus activations to make that real. So this is a lot of uh, action work, collective action work that we need to do. So we have taken three core pillars to make this possible. The first one is the economic development with female tech founders in partnership with all the fortune brands. So we definitely work a lot in understanding where the supply chain is looking like, how the purchasing is made, how does the enterprise customers are buying uh, as they move in the 21st century, especially during the COVID and post-COVID, the the buying process is changing. So we focus a lot on uh, figuring out where the customers are and where they're buying. The second thing that we do is get the entrepreneur truly, truly ready in those places where the customers are buying. So they are ready. They know how to have conversations, how to engage in a meaningful discussion. And third one is promoting and spotlighting and showcasing them in the right networks, whether it's investment groups or it is in the partner groups, which allows them to partner with them or uh, raise investment. If you get that right, we drive the economic development. And I, I ask all the entrepreneurs listening to this one is if you are thinking of how to get into the enterprise market, please look into Women in Cloud and uh, learn about the process that we do. 
The second area we are working on is the workforce development. What we learned from the pandemic was there was a big need for women to get ready, upskill and reskill their, you know, their skills so they can contribute in a way that the new environment is required. However, the skilling and the wraparound services for them to be successful, whether it's networks or whether it is uh, access to advisors or access to the right kind of skilling, that one was missing. So we basically put together a cloud skilling initiative and we partnered with Microsoft and Coursera to bring thousand plus scholarship, cloud scholarship or cloud and AI scholarship for women uh, so that they can, we can pilot and see what we could do. So once we got the, there was such a huge need for those scholarship and we are seeing like these women are completing at the rate that no other companies have seen. So very high completion rate of the basic fundamental course. And second, we are providing them with our signature events, a lot of the leadership and professional development and network access. And the third one is we are trying to provide them directly access to the enterprise recruiters who can recruit them or female founders who are looking for women to join their organization. So we have created a complete pipeline for the workforce development in the cloud industry. So that is another innovation we did. And the third one is the policy work, which is identifying what are the type of policies we need to look at. We are working on a 51% conundrum that female founder faces that if they need to be owning a 51% of the company. But as soon as you take the money from an investor, your company gets diluted and you lose the certification in the enterprise ecosystem, hence all the benefits that comes with that. So those are kind of, and the last one is the AI ethics policies around solution development. So those are kind of the areas we are focused on. But to do that, we bring the community together through campaigns, events and programs so that keeps everybody engaged and they feel like they're contributing to a movement. And we are the custodians of the movement to make this possible, uh, Sonia. Well, there's no question about that. And what's even more encouraging is that, as you stated, many tech companies, including Microsoft, recognize the need to diversify and they're struggling to find employees with needed IT skills. So you're really solving both of those issues. And yet, you know, the challenges remain, obviously. But creating an inclusive economy through the technology sector is really one of your core missions and that of your organizations, both Mela and Women in Cloud. And you work closely with the United Nations and corporations in overcoming challenges to unlock access for women. And the Sustainable Development Goals, or Global Goals, are a collection of 17 interlinked global goals designed to be a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. So if you could elaborate a bit for us on that and your intersection with the UN and what they're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. And uh, as Sonia, like if you, you know, as I communicated, Ram and I, we both focused a lot on contributing to the society from the the day one. That was our value system of how we wanted to build our relationship as a couple and how we go into the world to contribute to others. And we, we learned that we need to be part of a goal that is bigger than ourselves. So when we looked around all the 
the models out there, the UN sustainability goals were like the right ones. We felt we could connect to that, we can contribute to that, and it can take a lifetime for us to contribute, and it's a life worth living. So that was kind of the personal mindset and alignment to find the right goals. So uh, we found out for each one of us, and same thing for our kids, they all have a goal that they work on on a regular basis. So that gives us a North Star to work. So for me, it was a gender inclusion was a one, which was goal number five. That one was very important. And second one was global partnerships. Those were my two ones that I could really talk about because that is my core skill set and I could contribute. And the third one is building solutions and inclusive solution, which is like goal number eight. So these are my three goals that I know I can contribute every single day in the work we do and my team does. So when you think about it, um, you I look at as the UN sustainability goal as a strategic blueprint for your life to create value and impact. And also it's a common language to have discussion with the like-minded people in our network, because when you can associate yourself and represent yourself for solving the global goal, the, the acceleration of the impact becomes very, very easy. And number three is you get to create the right tribe, the right dream team to really going and solving a goal. So you're not talking about yourself. You're talking about how you're making a difference in the world, that world that needs right now, because we have got to a place where we can contribute back. So when I think about a company, they have the team has ideas. Let's go leverage the ideas to solve a bigger problem through the work that we do. And uh, Women in Cloud was one of the outcome of that work where we saw that we could directly impact the economic empowerment for women on the goal number five. And we can proactively contribute as through a collective action so we can solve it in the next 10 years. And the way we are going, we probably will accelerate the work as every year we will start to see that we are going coming closer to the realization. In so 10 years, maybe in five years, we'll be done with this work and we can go and pick another goal and go solve it through the same strategic blueprint that we have developed. Well, I have no doubt about that. And I think you're you're so spot on in terms of being surrounded by like-minded people that are trying to make society better than they found it, make an impact on the global level. And I'm so delighted that you are affiliated with India Spora um, and M.R. Rangaswamy, um, a previous and valued guest here, and what they're doing. So again, for listeners, it just demonstrates that, first of all, it's just an honor to be associated with you and talk to you about this, but it's really, really indicative of what you're goal is for this lifetime and and what you want to do, not just for yourself, but in serving humanity at large. Because here's the next question I have for you. I know you have predicted that technology will be the leading sector for the next 20 plus years powered by cloud and AI, and that the COVID-19 pandemic has only accelerated the adoption of digital transformation with cloud and AI technology. However, you point out the need for greater focus on public policy, and you did speak to that briefly, but policies really need to be advanced in your estimation to meet the needs of people who will be using the technology and ensuring it is accessible, free of biases, affordable, and enabled with cybersecurity. Human attention will be mined as a key resource in the industry, and that will create significant upheaval if appropriate policies are not developed 
to keep up with this in real time. You also call out the fact that Maslow's hierarchy of needs theory actually needs to be actualized for everyone, and that inclusivity and opportunities for all, regardless of gender, race, religion, and racial background, is so pivotal. And so can you tell us more about this need for public policy focus and the fact that it is an uncomfortable truth that in 2021, about to welcome 2022, there are still digital haves and have-nots in the U.S. and globally. Uh, first is, uh, thank you for having me. I, I respect MR uh, Rangaswamy, and he's definitely, I'm, a, I'm his fan and a follower. He definitely guides me to be become a better person. So I'm honored that I'm here with you, Sonia, because he, he's definitely the right person to be interviewed and acknowledged and, you know, highlighted. Now, coming to the work around the public policy and the things that are happening, I would say is uh, we are, I would say, yes, we are adopted a lot of digital tech. We are going through the work, but cloud and AI has done something that makes our world very inclusive, very fast. If we are strategic about it, what it did was everyone has a phone and you can access an app that is running on cloud any part of the world and you can do anything that you need. You can become an entrepreneur overnight. You can build a business overnight and you have all the tools and resources. Now, the places where the disparity starts to happen is at five areas. One is the broadband access. You need to have proper broadband and wireless access so that people can access those technologies. That's very important. Second is skilling. Not everybody understand how to be skilled. And we saw during COVID, just using Zoom was so hard for our previous generation, right? They were struggling. They didn't know how to use it. But yes, it took literally a month, month and a half, and they got skilled. And all the children were teaching their parents how to use the new technology. So there's a skilling component required. And pandemic, the benefit of pandemic is everybody got skilled very interestingly, but they had to be get skilled. And it may be you know, a Teams call or a Zoom call or whatever it is, we had to figure out because we couldn't go in person and meet with the people. The third one is the solutions itself, the solutions that are coming out. And if we do not look from a biased perspective, what's happening, we can start to create a gender parity, like gender exclusion of people into opportunities very quickly. So that's the other area we need to think about. Fourth one is the economic opportunity. Who gets opportunity in which uh, area, in enterprise? Why is it 2%? Why can't we get to 50%? What does it take? So that's another area we need to talk about. And the last one, which is a very important component of making this possible, is the leadership development. Do we have the right networks? Do we have the right model? Do we have the right mindset to really make sure that everybody is building a purpose-minded leadership scaling so that they can contribute. So when we think about how we approach this one is look from access, right? Do they have broadband access? Do they have not? Why don't they have it? Let's get that right. The basic infrastructure needs to put in. The second access is to skilling. Can we get them ready? What are the ways we can get them ready? Do we need scholarships? Do we need uh, projects? Do we need ways we need to skill people? 
Third is solutions. Do we have enough inclusive solutions in the market that we can easily find that are built by women, built by black founders or minority founders or anyone? Where do we find them? And are they inclusive? And are the VCs looking at before investing money asking is, are they putting the right policies in place to ensure that the technology is bias free? Are they putting that lens and a parameter to do it? And number four is, are we creating access to economic opportunity? That is jobs, contracts, partnership opportunities, mergers and acquisition. What does that look like? And the last one is, are we creating the right leadership development in our schools, in our college, in our workforce, so that humans are really amplified to give their best, to transform themselves, to create the world we want to live? So when we take care of that one from a digital lens, we have to still look at all the pieces, all the five areas, and really look at and say, where are we missing? And everyone in their own network can go and start ask, you know, asking the questions. So if I'm sitting here, my family, how are they looking like from a broadband? Are they skilled? Do they have solution? Do they have an opportunity? And are they have the enough leadership development? If I'm in a company, go through the same question. If I'm in a, you know, if I'm a senator, you should be talking about that. And if you're a corporate executive, you should be talking about the same thing. If you get that, the policies automatically will be identified and people will start to make an impact by serving, influencing and partnering to create an inclusive world for us. Well, that is so absolutely stunning, everything you've outlined there, because it really takes accountability and ownership at so many different levels. And I do want to share with listeners, I'll have a link to this as well. You're even rolling this out to youth. I know you have a Women in Clouds X Summit coming up where you connect youth to adult mentors to explore STEM-based careers in the trillion-dollar cloud industry. Absolutely spectacular. I will have a link to that in the podcast notes as well. But it's really hard to believe we're approaching the end of our time together. But I have to ask you this. What is next? I think it's kind of clearer based on what you've outlined. But in researching for this podcast, I would offer that while it does appear there are a plethora of programs like Girls Who Code, there are simply not as many programs focused upon business building for women, which is what you are doing. And I know that one of your ambitious goals is to take your program to 50 different countries and really see if you can help women use the accelerator model and start building the tech business. I would say the sky is the limit, but would love to hear more from you about what gets you excited in the morning or as you um, look to 2022, what do you look forward to the most as it relates to all of these groundbreaking and critical initiatives? Wow, that's a beautiful question. And I hope I can do a justice by answering. I love bold and audacious goal for creating a billion dollars of access. And that's how I've been trained and skilled at Microsoft. And I'm forever grateful that they gave me the opportunity to get skilled to create an impact. But when we think about the groundbreaking and critical initiative, I don't think I can. we can do it by ourselves. It's a collective action, collective power, and collective influence for making this work come to life. The first area which I really would like to do is global partnership with all the enterprise brand. 
we are working with fortune brands to contribute to the economic access movement for women. And we are inviting the companies to participate. So my goal is to really have thousand fortune brands to really step in and say, we support, we want to be represented. Let's make it happen. So that's a the project of a lifetime to get the global partnerships in place and figure out a way that we can all contribute to the success together. The second one is from an entrepreneurial perspective, which is where the roots of the Women in Cloud is to really bring thousand women to be ready in the next 10 years and build a successful business so they have access to funding, access to customers, access to partners so they can grow and hoping that some of them will become a unicorn companies and we were there to lift them up, provide them the right support as they become the unicorn company and go on the stock exchange. That would be kind of a lifetime vision. I would love to see that. And the third one is the workforce. To make all these pieces happen, we do need to have women to be skilled and uh, ready. So looking at as 250,000 women skilled in cloud and AI and majority of them have got placed in opportunities, either, you know, working as leaders or working at the employee ecosystem in multiple companies in the fortune brands and female tech founders who are hiding them. And the last one is the policy. This is the lifetime policy that we would want to work on is the 51% conundrum that women face and the certification and the funding should not be together the way it's linked. It's a systematic barrier that needs to be removed. So we all have to band together for driving uh, advocacy work together. And last and most is the AI ethics, uh, looking into the ethical piece and how do we think about solutions that are more ethical in nature and what do we do to create awareness around this particular work over the next three to five years. So that's kind of my big audacious goals that I am pondering and thinking and working as a collective network. And I'm hoping that each one of you can step in this summit, which is coming on January 26th to 28th and um, really coming here, show up with your tribe, show up with your employees and support the movement and learn, you know, learn solutions and understand opportunities and also truly develop your leadership uh, mindset to make this access become a reality for everyone around you. So that's my goal, um, Sonia. Hopefully I did the justice to an amazing question you asked. Oh, you most certainly did. You most certainly did. And I do want to congratulate you, Chai, as we come to the end of this interview. The, you have made the Forbes Next 1000 list, which shouldn't be a surprise to listeners who have enjoyed this podcast. But I just want to offer that it really shines a light on the ambitious sole proprietors, self-funded shops, and pre-revenue startups in every region of the country, all with under $10 million in revenue or funding, an infinite drive and hustle. And so I really want to congratulate you on that. And thank I want to you. thank you. Yes, huge accomplishment. And we're going to be so see so much more of this from you, I'm certain. But the beauty of it is you bring people with you. You raise everyone around you. And wow, we are just so delighted to have spoken to you today. Thank you so much, Chai. 
Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, really uh, grateful for you to giving me the opportunity. And I hope uh, I can inspire one human being on this planet to take <laughs> action and create access for them and the people in the network. I think that would be a remarkable mission that we can accomplish. Oh, that's beautiful. I have no question that that will occur not only via this podcast, but through the critical work you're doing. And you know what? I would welcome you back over and over because technology is constantly changing and we can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. <laughs>